Well, welcome back to the Economy of Wellbeing podcast. I'm your host, Mark Anielski. I haven't been on air for quite a while, but I received an interesting request from a listener from Winnipeg uh, asking if I could do a special podcast on the question of inflation. What is inflation? How is it driven? And how does it connect uh, to things like how the Bank of Canada operates or... And what can we do about inflation? We see and experience price inflation everywhere right now in groceries uh, and and coming right after a pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic, we see increasing uh, prices. We've been experiencing, you know, hot real estate markets, massive increase in in housing prices, uh, a, a really bad trend in that ratio of income household income to housing prices which under kind of normal economic conditions would would be around uh, three uh, income sorry housing prices to income would in my estimation be around you know three to four times uh, what your household income should be or would be but that is complete out of whack in in some places like toronto and vancouver and victoria where those ratios are significantly higher they're closer to you know 10 11 times uh, income which is just punishing on on anyone so let's let's cover some of the the questions but really we'll get into uh, the the standard definition of inflation uh, by economists and then my take on this subject because it's a little bit different than most economists and i'm going to go back to uh, one of the definitions of inflation, which is actually an increase in the money supply itself. So let's go to the definition of inflation first from Investopedia. So according to the textbook definition, inflation is a rise in prices, which can be translated as a decline in the purchasing power of that uh, currency over time. The rate at which purchasing power drops can be reflected in the average price increase of a basket of selected goods. Now, the way we measure inflation, economists do, is we measure the change in the price of a basket of goods, and we call that the consumer price index. Now, those goods include, of course, food and fuel, housing, transportation, all the things that we normally consume for our household and individual well-being. Uh, inflation, of course, can be viewed positively or negatively. Depends on your point of view and, and what kind of position you are in life. If you're a retired person, then uh, with a fixed income because of a pension, etc., um, inflating prices, rising prices, can be difficult if your pension income isn't increasing. But those who are still in the labor market, the question is. Have, have the prices of this basket of basic goods and services uh, increased faster than wages or um, have kept pace with wages. So I'm going to cover uh, the data, um, the, what the evidence shows, and then I'm going to address the more interesting aspect of this definition of inflation being an increase in the money supply. And that's a really important reflection that very few economists uh, tend to cover, and I hope that will this will make sense to you because when we come from the definition of an increase in money supply, then we have to ask, well, how does the total money supply in a country increase? Uh, where does the money come from? How does it originate? So we're going to cover this, especially what's happened 
uh, during the COVID pandemic and since. Well, before we begin this conversation about inflation, um, let's think about what other economists, such as Michael Hudson, who's one of my favorite economists, who has studied ancient economic systems. And he has a, a, another kind of interesting take on inflation and comes from a kind of a labor economics perspective where, you know, some of the arguments are that inflation is really driven by, by labor who continually demanding increase in wages. And those increases in wages are kind of pushing through the economy, raising the prices of food and et cetera. So we're constantly getting pushed by labor. One argument is uh, so it's difficult to manage inflation unless wages are maintained or held in a steady uh, kind of state. But if, in fact, when we look at uh, the, the change in the CPI for Canada compared to a change in the hourly wages, uh, the hourly wage rate of Canadians, or average weekly uh, wages, uh, we find some interesting results. I'm going to pick the starting point as 1974 for Canada for looking at the changes in the CPI, the inflation rate, and wages, because 1974 is an important uh, turning point in all of our Western economies. That's when we had the OPEC oil crisis. Uh, massive rise in the price of oil which of course affected everything in the economy increased the price of, of everything really and it was a time when governments um, were feeling pressure what was interesting is if you look at canada's uh, balance sheets and and uh, financial statements for the federal government uh, those governments rarely if ever ran up a deficit uh, from world war ii the end of World War II to 1973 uh, rarely was a, a deficit run, but after 19, uh, after a meeting with Western leaders in uh, Basel, Switzerland, there was an agreement that governments could, in fact, start to run deficits and fund those deficits by selling debt bonds uh, to the private markets, to the banks and, and the, the financial industry, and that. That had a huge, huge impact, which I'll try to explain uh, through this podcast, how that choice uh, to uh, balance budgets through financing, through issuing of bonds, which governments can do and sell to the, to the private market, uh, results in what is clearly a, a, a very important pressure inflation, if you like, uh, because there's interest rates attached to that uh, to those bonds and uh, when that debt uh, is accumulating over time with subsequent deficit financing you get increasing levels of interest costs that are suddenly found in the economy and they're not easy to um, discriminate or pull out you can't actually identify the level of interest costs that are embedded in the prices of goods and services or even in in the taxes we paid because they're just so uh, hidden. Uh, there's not something economists don't tend to report, which to me is fascinating. Uh, and I'll tell you just how big those interest charges uh, are from my calculations of the debt that is uh, outstanding in Canada. But let's just look at the evidence right now. So from 1974 to 2022, 
the consumer price index rose from an index of 26.2. That may mean nothing to you, but we're using a base year of 2002 equal to 100 basis points. So it rose from 26.2 uh, in 1974 to 151.2 in 2022. That represents a 477%, 477% increase in the CPI. So that seems like a very, very large increase in the costs of um, cost of living. And now, however, compared to the increase in wages, uh, looking now just at Alberta, average weekly wages from 1974, the average weekly wage in Alberta was $168.70 in 1974. These are in current dollars, not adjusted for inflation. Uh, and in 2022, they averaged $1,287 uh, per person. So that's per you know person working for wages. So that's a 663% increase in uh, current wages from 1974 to 2022, 663% compared to an increase in the CPI of 477%. So one could say that, you know, wages have actually increased um, uh, faster or at a higher rate than consumer prices, uh, which would be good news. Uh, everyone should be saying that's that's a wonderful thing. Now, shockingly, and in stark contrast uh, to the my point about, you know, this definition of money uh, and inflation being increased in the money supply. Now, economists. Uh, some economists that I've and I've written about this is shown that when you ask the question where does the money supply come from, uh, there is an admission that 98% of our money comes in the form of debt. So, uh, where does debt come from? Well, banks create debt when they issue loans, and governments create a debt when they sell bonds to balance budgets and finance deficits. So one needs only then to say, well, if 98% of our money that is uh, also increasing through every new loan and every government bond, what has that rate of change been uh, over the same time period, 1974 to 2022? And um, using the, the, the StatsCan data, um, I am showing that the amount of outstanding debt per Canadian per capita, so per capita total debt, that's all debt, household debt, business debt, and all government debt and foreign debt, increased from an average of $10,640 per Canadian in 1974 to $283,621 in 2022. That is a massive increase of 2,565%. So my point being that the amount of debt has exploded uh, and is accelerating, growing at much higher rates than both the inflation rate, the CPI, and wages. Uh, and the important point about this, though, is that that debt, uh, as it continues to grow, it also has interest charges attached to it. They're embedded in, and those interest charges get are found in the prices of everything, uh, as, and especially in, in our 
the taxes we pay. So let's examine just how much that interest burden is on the average Canadian. So let's go back to before the COVID uh, pandemic. In 2019, a federal, provincial, and other governments' debt totaled $1.76 trillion, $1,764 billion, which had annual interest costs of $55 billion, roughly. This would amount to an average interest burden of $3,900 per Canadian household, or represent 6.3% of the median after-tax household income in 2019. Now, that's, first of all, an important starting point, because before, uh, before 2019, the amount of total federal debt that had accumulated from 1974, remember that important uh, point in time when uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and other Western leaders agreed to have government debt issued and sold to the private markets in which interest would be paid to the private industry, the private financial world and banks, uh, as opposed to being purchased by the federal, uh, the, the central bank, the Bank of Canada. That's a whole other question, uh, issue. The amount of debt that had accumulated from 1974 to 2019 was $747 billion. Uh, much of that was simply the accumulated compounded interest on the debts that were uh, created when those governments who ran deficits in some years issued bonds uh, and sold those bonds to the markets. Now, during COVID, the most amazing thing happened. In the short few months during the pandemic, the federal government issued roughly $400 billion of new debt, brand new money, what I would call COVID debt bonds, like war bonds when we would go into war. We had to finance our way out of this war against this virus, and we papered, or namely the finance minister and treasury board, uh, papered $400 billion of brand new money. So that's $400 billion on top of the $747 billion that had accumulated from 1974 to 2019. Now, according to the most recent statistics from Statistics Canada for the total amount of outstanding debt in the economy, the federal government debt increased from $747 billion in 2019 to one point. $274 trillion in 2022, at the end of 2022. That's a massive increase of $527 billion in just three and a half years. That is a staggering figure. When you add the other amounts of debt in the economy, including household debt, uh, other provincial government debt, and foreign debt as well as private sector debt. The total outstanding debt in Canada currently is over nearly $11 trillion. That represents a staggering increase of 4,425% 4, increase in total debt between 1974 and 2022 in the Canadian economy. 
Now, the big question then remains, all right, if that is truly what we would define as inflation, an increase in the total amount of debt money in the system, what is the cost of that burden? The interest costs, because the interest costs are really important to understand. We know we pay interest on loans, but those interest costs are, one might say, conveniently obscured or hidden. They're not identified in your receipts on your Tim Hortons uh, receipt or on your grocery bill, but they're all, they're hidden. They're, they're definitely in the price of everything. But this is something economists have not, uh, don't seem to pay attention to. So that 11 trillion of total debt outstanding has a significant interest uh, in Latin actually we use the word uh, interest means a snake bite actually and so it is consuming a significant amount of all of the money you're spending and of course uh, a burden on the income even if wages yes we see that wages have increased and in fact exceeded the rate of inflation but it's the rate of increase in the debt and then this debt servicing that really matters to this conversation okay we're back after a uh, short analytic break here so the update on the interest charges so we've seen that the total amount of federal debt went from 747 billion uh, in 2019 to a staggering uh, 1274 1, billion uh, in 2022 which is uh, 527 billion increase so what does that mean uh, it, as well the the amount of provincial debt increased significantly as well over that time period that represents a 70.5% increase in total federal government debt in four years. Four years, 70.5% increase. Now, of course, what we're seeing too is interest rates are going up. So what were the coupon rates on these new government bonds? We don't know uh, yet, but let's say they're around 2 or 3% or 3%. Uh, that is a significant, massive interest charge. And the question is, who are we paying that interest rate, those interest costs to? Now, comparing the federal government debt, uh, that has increased by 70%. The other levels of government, the provincial and municipal government debts, over that same period, 2019 to 2022, increased by 24%. The uh, Ford debt uh, owed to other, to non Canadian residents increased by 54%. So you can see we we're definitely uh, increasing our debt uh, levels to foreigners. And uh, but the total amount of outstanding debt of Canada, which is uh, again close to 11 trillion dollars, increased by 28% between 2019 and 2022. Uh, household debt, by comparison, over that period increased by 23.4% and uh, private sector debt increased by 27.5%. So you can uh, see the, the, just a staggering increase in, in inflation. So now let's go and, and calculate the, the estimated interest cost of this debt. 
uh, of this $11 trillion in debt. The average um, interest rates we're assuming for household debt is around 3.5%, which is uh, probably way too low. And uh, when we add that then to the interest paid on federal government debt, um, which is around uh, also around 3.5%, and we then uh, add the interest on uh, the business and other debt in in the economy, which is around assuming a five percent interest. We we don't know exactly what that uh, that interest cost is to the private sector, <clears throat> but five percent seems like a, a reasonable number. Uh, we come up to a number of interest uh, costs per Canadian household. This is. Uh, of $32,000, roughly $32,138. And if you haven't already gone blind with all these numbers, that that number, that interest uh, cost, it's a burden. It, it represents about 41% of the median pre-tax household income in 2021. Uh, 2021 pre-tax, uh, the total household income uh, of uh, an economic family was around seventy-eight thousand two hundred dollars uh, in twenty twenty-one. We don't have the twenty twenty-two data yet, but you can see uh, forty-one percent of our household income is going to uh, goods and services uh, and taxes, uh, which um, yeah represents is taking up forty-one percent of those those goods and services uh, are are in embedded or hidden interest charges. It's quite a staggering uh, figure and it's something that nobody is talking about, no economists are talking about or reporting. And uh, this is something that needs to be addressed as a fundamental question uh, on this discussion about what is inflation. And by the way, this is these figures are also relevant and true for the United States where the burden of interest charges on households is also significant. My estimates for the U.S. are closer to 50% uh, of household income is uh, around 45 to 50% of household income is going to these uh, interest charges on staggering level of, of debt in the United States, which uh, exceeds, uh, right now exceeds 90 three to 94 trillion dollars uh, well interesting thing about uh, the US debt figures is they've been doubling uh, about seven to eight years they double uh, since World War two so you could see that the total amount of debt uh, never stops growing it's it's inflating at tremendous rates we've shown you those figures those massive increases in total debt which eclipse uh, both consumer price index and wage uh, wage increase is in household income. So you can see debt is the big uh, elephant in the room that uh, again nobody talks about. So this is a uh, this is a, a huge issue. Well, let's go back to uh, another question our listener uh, asked me, and that is the question of. Uh, real estate prices and uh, why are uh, why why did real estate prices continue to inflate? We we see this massive increase in uh, housing prices and therefore rental rates. And in a way, you have to ask how does how does the bank uh, how do the banks participate 
in this uh, this inflation, and do do they have a responsibility? Is the question. So, of course, the banks, uh, you know, they love to create loans and mortgages, which in Latin means a death pledge, and uh, and that's part of their business and business model. But the question is, have the banks also been partly responsible for creating the the asset, the inflation and housing prices? Uh, well, how how would they participate? Well, in one in one sense, they participate by even extending mortgages that are uh, far uh, far too generous and and helping to uh, pr give permission to households uh, whose income doesn't really align with housing prices it's you know that ratio I talked about a healthy ratio would be around uh, housing prices of three to three times what the the average income of that household would be that would be a normal uh, kind of a normal uh, healthy ratio but those ratios are completely out of whack in the, in the major cities and they continue to grow as housing prices uh, continue to stay high and inflate it even even if wages have gone up uh, that ratio continues to grow and I've shown uh, in other uh, in other uh, postings on LinkedIn what that ratio looks like for for some major cities and as I said these are ridiculous ratios sometimes exceeding 10 or 11 times in cities like uh, Vancouver so one could say that um, banks have been partly responsible for this asset inflation bubble it's uh, great for s speculators and of course we participate too by thinking that it's great to have seen our, our homes increase in value and but we're participating too in in, in a way uh, uh, putting each other in a bind because uh, of course with now rising interest rates uh, it's going to be even more difficult to uh, pay for uh, those mortgage payments and our sort of cost of housing will, will increase as mortgages uh, come due and as mortgage holders are going to end up paying far more of their income uh, to housing and there's really nothing uh, to solve this other than to ask the question what role do banks play in maintaining healthy uh, mortgage uh, mortgage rates or healthy mortgages in relationship to the capacity of households uh, to to pay no more than 30 percent of their income for housing that would be a even a healthy kind of benchmark so th those are my my comments on on housing uh, there, another question is asking well with workers now demanding higher wages what effect will that have on inflation well we see that um, wages have actually been increasing quite nicely relative to uh, to inflation uh, even with inflation roaring as it has been but of course that's for people who work for wages and people who are on fixed income have a much more difficult time of course because their their pension uh, incomes aren't necessarily indexed to the roaring levels of inflation at the moment and there's seemingly no way of cooling off um, inflation at, at this point now, uh, will the Bank of Canada raise rates again? Uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to do so because my point in my previous analysis of the interest burden suggests that 
uh, when I'm using very modest interest uh, assumptions for household debt, we're going to see an even massive increase, a larger increase in the in the cost of hidden interest charges in the economy, which will um, which will be very difficult for all of us. So there's no easy solution here. No one could say, well, back in the day in the ancient civilizations, they would have uh, when they got to this place. Perhaps if they ever got here, they would uh, forgive debts. Uh, the Sumerians had a clean slate law where they uh, Michael Hudson. The, economic historian has talked about how clean slate laws uh, eliminated debt every seven years debts were were forgiven or wiped out uh, the Jews adopted similar uh, you know economic um, policies called the Jubilee uh, the Jubilee laws were meant to again eliminate forgive debts so that people could uh, live normal lives and not be become debt slaves and and burdened by uh, what we're experiencing now but our, our culture has not practiced this, and we have, uh, and we've, in, in this kind of bind now, because with debts so high, uh, and the other point is impossible to repay. You cannot repay these debts, because they just keep compounding and increasing over time. And COVID exacerbated that. But one point I want to make, uh, which I've made in, in articles before, is that the this. $527 billion of new federal debt money. Uh, how was it created and who purchased the debt or the bonds is the big question. And when initially looked at who was buying what I would call those those pandemic bonds or COVID bonds, it was actually being soaked up mostly or purchased by the Bank of Canada. And why that's important is because uh, the Bank of Canada is our bank and so when you think about it, we pay interest on, on the debt bonds that our bank is holding, which would suggest that a those that interest payment is should be forgiven or should be a wash, um, versus if we had sold those bonds or to the private markets in which we would now be paying interest to the private financial world, uh, the banks and. Um, of course, that would put us in a bind and a and a in a long-term bind, uh, because again, those costs would be now embedded in the prices of everything, uh, and therefore we we see again why we, part of the reason why we see inflation. Um, now the question is how how much of those uh, bonds uh, did the Bank of Canada uh, purchase? Um, how much did they sell subsequently to the private sector? Uh, we don't have a clear accounting of that yet, but that's a really important question to ask if you're going to be talking to uh, your local politicians and, and others and thinking about, well, hang on a minute. If just like when we had a war, we would, um, you know, we sold war bonds and Canadians and Americans participated in helping the war effort by buying those bonds. Uh, oftentimes without any interest uh, coupon on the bonds just was just to help the effort right and and here we had the government step in during a pandemic and issue all this debt money so that we could survive and uh, and once the pandemic is over the question is well, what happens to all of that 400 to 500 billion of new money that was created by the government to help us if if not should that debt money not be forgiven in a kind of jubilee uh, uh, effort by by the government, 
So I hope that uh, answers my listeners' uh, questions. Uh, these are complicated issues. I know I've gone down a path which very few economists go down, which is to address the fundamental definition of inflation or one definition, an increase in the money supply, which can only occur when either banks are issuing debt loans or governments are issuing debt bonds uh, to finance uh, their operations and, of course, to finance the economy. There's nothing wrong with, with issuing loans, um, but one can then also imagine that, you know, the the cost of living could actually theoretically be remain fairly constant on a per capita basis, so long as we sort of have some sense that there's a basic basket of goods and services that becomes a human right for every Canadian to enjoy, and that these prices uh, should uh, not inflate any faster than than income uh, or wages. And we see, of course, we said the wages actually have grown uh, faster than the price of the average price of these goods and services, at least according to the statistics. And that seems like a good thing. But uh, the, the the big issue is, can we actually have an economy without inflation? Well, then begs the question: without debt money, or how would money then be created in 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 good and healthy relationship with our needs, with the actual basic uh, common good needs of every person. And then we'd have to ask, well, who then has the power to create that money supply? And um, and surely it can't just be, you know, private banks who are the primary creators of, of debt money. It has to be uh, we, the people, who decide how to and how much money we, we need to transact in an economy and have a have a you know an aspirational good life so thanks for listening and please um, send me your comments uh, this is just an audio podcast but I will post some graphs and uh, other notes on LinkedIn uh, which is a, my, one of my favorite platforms for uh, providing a commentary thanks for listening